Well, Jonathan, while you were talking, I was, he was bringing back an old memory of when Pam and I were not newlyweds, but we were young and our children were small. And uh, I was a campus minister in Springfield, Missouri, but I would, about once a month, I would go fill in uh, for a church outside of town, the James River Chapel, Church of Christ. And I don't know, Pam, how many people they had there. They didn't have a hundred. And uh, so I was, I was just beginning. And so we had two little bitty kids that Pam was wrestling with. And of course, I was nervous. And after church one Sunday, I told her, I said, well, what'd you think of my sermon? Well, what do you say uh, to your husband who's just starting out? And she had the best answer. She said, well, what I heard was really good. And that meant I probably didn't hear very much. I was wrestling with children. But it's a wonderful time of, of life. And, and those little children are now in their 30s and are giving us grandchildren. So we're going to start it all over again. Speaking of Pam, some time ago, she and I walked into a furniture store uh, just to take a look around. And almost immediately, I saw what was probably the biggest man I've ever seen in my entire life. He was lying on his back across the bed of one of the showroom beds there, and I thought he was asleep. And so we turned the other way uh, to go look at some furniture. But after a few minutes, he approached us because apparently he worked there. He was a furniture salesman there. And we struck up a conversation, friendly guy, and it didn't take me long to realize, he told us, that he had played for the NFL in his past life and thus explained his huge size but as we continued to talk he told us that he had blown out both of his knees and now he sold furniture NFL furniture for him the transition was not easy and not just for him every year the climax of professional football is the Super Bowl the first one was played in January of 1967 and this coming February 4th, we're going to have the next one. And except for the score, almost everything about that event is so predictable. Every year, it is the most watched television broadcast. Every year, advertisers spend the most and create the very best. Every year, it, it is the second largest food consumption day, second only to Thanksgiving. But there are some other Super Bowl facts that are not quite so positive. In fact, Richard Justice wrote an article in the Houston Chronicle called Life After Football, Hello Real World. And he explored the transition when players retire from the game. And here's some of the things that he found. 65% of NFL players leave the game with permanent injuries. They continue their life with permanent injuries, like my new friend at the furniture store. One in four players report financial difficulties in the first year after retirement. Of the NFL marriages that fail, 50% of them fail in the first year following leaving the game. The suicide rate for active and retired players is six times the national average. And then listen to this one. 78% of NFL players are unemployed or bankrupt or diver divorced within two years of their last game. Amen. 
Now, what, is that, what that means is that just moving from point A to point B is not easy. And like the football player slash furniture salesman that I met, transition is difficult. Just changing and growing and shifting and crossing over. Transition is inevitable. It's an unavoidable. But how do we make it successful? We are in the month of December. Uh, we're not far from 2018, which is a transition. It's a time when, when we will move from point A to point B. And what I would like to do this morning is simply plant in all of our hearts the question, what are the rules? How can transition be successful? Now, before we think this through, there's a, a few questions I think it would be good for us to ask ourselves that would help set the stage for thinking about what it means to cross over. And so page six, your bulletin, you might take the opportunity and write these down here. First question, when do we cross over? When are those moments of change and transition? When do they occur and what do they mean? Well, there's several ways to answer that. Here are a few things that I thought of. We cross over at times of growth. The first time, our birth. It sets the stage for our childhood. And then there's those important moments in our teenage years. And then there's the time we choose a college and choose a career. And all of those are times of growth and we're crossing over. We also cross over at times of danger, illness, accident, disease, death. In fact, some of us have even been at the bedside of some dear loved one as they made that final crossover, that final passage. We also cross over at times of decision. A young couple, they look forward to marriage, they're excited about it, they plan for it, and the Bible says they leave their father and mother and they cleave to each other. And can you hear it? That's crossing over. That's the language of decision. We also cross over at times of transition. Sometimes we call them turning points in our life or peak experience. There are moments of progress, moments of growth, moments of achievement. And yes, these sound positive and they are exciting, but we can't lose sight of the fact that they are still difficult. I've learned the truth in the proverb. It sounds too simple, but hope you get it. Anything valuable is expensive. It's going to cost. And transition comes with the cost. And so that leads me to a second question I want you to think about. Write this down. Why is it difficult to cross over? Once again, I think there are several answers. These are the ones that helped me. I think it's difficult because it's both exciting and fearful. Think about it. We all want it. We all fear it. We want to get married, we want to have children, we want to start college, we want to start a new job. Whatever the, the venture is for you, we want it, but we fear it. And the excitement and the fear, they battle each other all the way across. I've been here 15 years, and I sometimes enjoy just standing when everybody stands up, service is over, and then just look across the audience and I can see a young family here. There's probably four or five of them that I can think of right now. 
that there's a young family and I got two or three or four kids and I remember the day that I had lunch at the prompting of one of one of them the young man because he was scared to death just to pop the question he was afraid of it but he wanted it and they battled each other all the way across and now they are a thriving family crossing over is also both unfamiliar and powerful we've never been this way before and because it's unfamiliar because it's unknown it has this this power and sometimes it can become a power to prevent the change to stop the progress and we never make the crossover but on the other hand that power can also just bring respect we respect what's happening here we respect what this crossing over means and so our crossing is careful and it's humble and it's successful because I respect it crossing over can also be both uncomfortable and necessary I mean let's be honest we like for things to stay the same I know where to go I know where to sit I know how it works but let's be honest sometimes it doesn't work in fact it's always gonna stop working isn't it and so I have to change things I have to change my clothes I have to change my oil I have to change my prescription but I also have to change my mind and I have to change my heart because growth is uncomfortable but it's necessary and that brings me to a third question how do we cross over now we've got some options here if we wanted to we could seek the advice of any one of the 38,964 books that Amazon says contain the word transition in their title and by the way that number went up 20 books over the weekend I checked it this morning but what I'd rather do is go to the one who made me I'd rather go to the one who designed me and ask him how do I cross over in the Old Testament book of Joshua Joshua directs Israel to go to the edge of the Jordan River and wait for instructions and these instructions are given to them over a three-day period at the end of three days the 12 Levitical priests they carry the Ark of the Covenant down into the Jordan River and they stand in the middle of the river and it stops the waters leaving the riverbed dry and while the priests hold the ark high in the middle of the Jordan the waters that had been flowing down from the Sea of Galilee they're stopped and they heap up on the north side and the waters that are flowing down into the Dead Sea they flow away and it leaves this wide space and the Israelites cross over on dry land it's a simple story but within it there is a powerful message I think for us today it's a message about the kind of people that God wanted them to be and that he yearns for us to be today Amen. the sovereign God who can part the waters called his people in ancient times and he calls us today to be a crossover people now crossing the Jordan was a traumatic moment for Israel everything that I've described so far about the difficulties of changing 
and crossing. It was happening to them. It was powerful. It was fearful. It was exciting. It was difficult. But it had to be done. I mean, think about it. They had spent 40 years in the wilderness, moving, traveling. It was their way of life. They were a traveling people, and they were accustomed to that. And now it means changing everything, settling down, committing themselves to one piece of land. And frankly, it was hard. And it didn't matter that they had looked forward to it or they sang songs about it or that they were excited about it. It didn't make it any easier. You see, before they got to the Jordan River, the command that had been given to them was go forward, go forward. In fact, 89 times all through the book of Numbers, you hear that refrain, go forward, as they moved from one place to another, moving around. And so it's a bit surprising when it suddenly stops and go forward is replaced. In fact, it only occurs three times in the entire book of Joshua. And it's replaced with another set of words. This, this phrase is used 21 times in just three chapters, chapters 3, 4, and 5. It's the phrase crossover. Instead of moving forward, it's crossover. And it's interesting to me that this phrase crossover was not used to describe the passage through the Red Sea. No, it has been saved for this moment. It is distinctive to the Jordan River. It is distinctive to entering the land. It is distinctive to claiming the promise of God. Because, you see, the Exodus, it was departure. The Jordan is arrival. And it's in front of them. And it's here. What will they do? And so, they stood as God's people have often stood on the edge of a promise, something new, never been there before. And I have to ask myself, it just came into my mind, what did it feel like to stand there? What did it feel like to stand on the edge of a promise you've been thinking and hearing about for decades, right at the beginning on the threshold of opportunity? For 400 years, they had dreamed of the promised land. For 40 years, they had been moving toward it. And now, they stand ready to cross. What are the rules for crossing? How do you move successfully from point A to point B? In this story, there are four specific instructions that helped them to cross over. And I think they can help us to have a crossover way of thinking, a crossover mindset. Why don't you write these down in your notes there? First instruction, look for God. Look for God. Joshua 3, verse 3. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. How will they know which way to go? When they look for God. 
You see, during their time in the wilderness, they followed the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. But now, the Ark of the Covenant takes their place. It's mentioned 17 times in these two chapters, chapters 3 and 4. The Ark of the Covenant was a kind of portable throne of God. I think this is why Moses addressed the Ark as God in Numbers chapter 10. I think this is why their enemies, the Philistines, equated the Ark as God in 1 Samuel 4. It represented him. It was the portable throne of God. What was it? The Ark was a large box containing sacred objects, and all of them pointed to the leadership of God. What was inside? Well, the Ten Commandments were there, representing God's guidance. A jar of manna was there, representing God's assistance. Aaron's rod was there, representing God's leadership. Because you see, these were not just a migrating people, mindlessly wandering around, no real place to go. No, they were led to this point. God was leading them. And now God leads them through their crossover. And so, look for God. A second instruction, he told them, prepare for God. Look at verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. When we stand on the threshold of a new opportunity, on the edge of a promise, and we feel that uncomfortable mixture of feelings, this is when we need this instruction. Consecrate yourself. Sanctify yourself. Prepare yourself. Get ready. Now what that meant for the Israelites, that meant washing the clothes, washing themselves, confessing their sins, abstaining from anything that was unclean. What it means for us to claim the cleansing power and the blood of Jesus, which we did in communion together. It means opening ourselves up to God's presence and God's leadership. It means that we decide and we commit and we prepare to cross over. And only you and God know what might prevent you from crossing over, what might stop your progress. Only you and God know what hidden undergrowth might tangle up your legs as you try to walk across. And God says in verse 5, consecrate yourself, prepare, decide, choose. You see, the frightening part of this whole story is that God has chosen not to work in the lives of people that are not open to him. How long did it take him to get these people ready to cross? Did they just come out of Egypt and come over to the Jordan and cross? It took him 40 years to get them ready. And now they're open. And now they're ready. In fact, these people were willing to break their camp to stay by the Jordan River for three days, to cross over against this heaped-up waters that are there, and to establish a beachhead in enemy territory. This is the heart of crossover people, hearts that are open, 
hearts that are willing. And so look for God, prepare for God, and then Joshua says, listen to God. Verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. You see, in the past, every time that Israel had gotten into trouble, it was because they had stopped listening to God. Or maybe to put it another way, they had begun to listen to someone else or to something else, to another way of life. And it took 40 years for God to train them to listen to him. And you see, they didn't cross until they were ready to listen. And it brings this question to my mind. Am I ready for God to take me across? Are we ready for God to take this church to the next level? Are we ready to hear Joshua's words? Remember what he said? Tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Tomorrow, it's right here. Are you ready for it? It's right there. More than ever, we must be listening to God. And what I'm talking about is personal listening. You and your own time with the Father, your own quiet time, your own daily time with God, personal listening. I'm talking about family listening in our homes, with our families, with our children. I'm talking about all of our gatherings as a church, our small groups, our connections, all the times we get together and we share with each other what we're hearing from God. And we're helping feed each other, listening to God. Why? So that we will know how, and this is the fourth instruction here, how to follow God. Follow God. Joshua 3, verse 17 said, The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, actually, the Jordan River was not that difficult to cross most of the year. But in the springtime, different story. The actual Jordan Valley between the, Dead the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, it varies in width from about in three miles to 14 miles wide. Within this valley is the river's floodplain. It ran from about 200 yards to a mile wide. And you can imagine in, when the river's running high, this floodplain is covered with water, and it's covering all this undergrowth. It's packed with tangled brush and undergrowth. The river channel itself was about 90 to 100 feet wide. wasn't very deep, 3 feet down to 10 to 12 feet deep. The current, it was strong, because remember, this is the lowest place on the face of the earth, the Dead Sea. And the water's flowing uh, from the Sea of Galilee. And the drop in elevation 
just up by the Sea of Galilee is about 40 feet dropping per mile. Overall, it drops about 9 feet per mile. And what that means is that the river that Israel is facing is not some little stream. It's a raging torrent. It's probably a mile wide, and it's covering a muddy mass of tangled vegetation. And so here's my question. Why did God bring them to the edge of that river? Why didn't he bring them to the edge of a river they could just wade across? I think I know why. I think he wanted them to know. This is impossible to get across without my help. He wanted them to know that they could not make it without him. You know why Jesus said so often that we must be like little children? I don't think he was saying you need to be cute. I think he's saying you need to be dependent. Little children cannot live without help. And that's what God wanted them to see. You cannot make it across without my help. It was a time to depend on God. He was teaching them and us this critical lesson, and I hope that we can get it. If we make it through our tangled obstacles, if we endure our flood of problems that hit us each day, if we are not washed away by the challenges of our own next steps, it will only be because of the power and the grace of God, because we're following God. Now, if you will allow me, I would like to completely change the metaphor. Because Israel walked, but we drive, don't we? And so, as we think about some lessons to take from this, as God prepares us for our crossover, as we begin to think about a new year, with driving language, what would be the rules of the road for us? as we prepare and start thinking about a new year. I say that because Leonard Sweet wrote a fine book called Quantum Spirituality. And I like the language he uses. And here are four adaptations from his book that I think can help me know the rules of the road. The first rule of the road, you might want to write this down. You can't steer a parked car. You just can't do it. It's even hard to turn the wheel of a parked car. We're not supposed to park. To stop is to stagnate. And we're not supposed to stop. The Great Commission is not park. The Great Commission is go. In 2018, our elders will be leading us into a year that is filled with ministry opportunities. And so as you think about your plans for 2018, I encourage you and I urge you to prayerfully choose your course and continue forward because you can't steer a parked car. Now, having said that, I have to say movement, just movement itself, is not an end in itself. That's not the point, just to be moving. And so a second rule of the road is you can't repair a moving car. What I mean by that is sometimes we're tired or confused or uncertain 
and we need to push the pause button but pausing is not parking the car no it's repairing the car or we could say preparing the car for a much better trip and so yes learn when to pause please pause and allow God to nourish your spirit and to heal your soul you can't repair a moving car but don't park the car and just walk away a third rule of the road you can't move forward without a rearview mirror here's what I mean when we move forward tomorrow becomes today and today becomes yesterday but yesterday the past is not some souvenir that I just put in a box and put in the attic somewhere no yesterday was a time at one time it was today and I lived it and I learned from it and so it's not a souvenir it's a guidepost for me by knowing where we've been we can determine where to go it's part of knowing who we are and so as we move forward let's keep track of where God has already taken us how God has already brought renewal and change into our lives so as we move forward let's keep checking the rearview mirror and then finally a fourth rule of the road and this is probably the most important one you can't run on empty you can't you can't run on empty you have to have fuel and there's a lot of fuel out there and most of it is inferior fuel and people run run their lives on it they run their religious lives on it the fuel of guilt the fuel of duty the fuel of arrogance the fuel of pride people run their religious lives on that now I know that guilt and duty can wake me up and prick my heart but I can't run my life on it what did David run his life on what did Paul run his life on God's love gratitude joy fruits of the Spirit that's what it was producing in their lives and that's what they ran their life on and that's why we look and we listen and we depend on God he is the fuel it's not my determination it's not my guts it's not my bootstraps it is the God of the universe love joy thanksgiving in fact as you leave today as you go back out into the foyer I can see it from here look on the back wall and you'll see where we have chosen a vision 2004 this church chose that vision passion for God compassion from people it came from Mark chapter 12 and in that story in Mark 12 when that teacher of the law came to Jesus and asked him his questions notice he did not ask Jesus two questions he did not say what are the two greatest commands he asked him one question what is the greatest command what sums it all up out of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament which one should I put at the top and Jesus gave him 
the very best answer. Love God. But he couldn't stop there. He had to give him a second answer. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, he couldn't talk about God without talking about people because they always go together. And I say all this because we will not know how to adequately give compassion to people unless we are saturated with passion for God. He is the fuel. And so in 2018, my question is, what will be your plan? What will be my plan to saturate myself with passion for God? This morning, you may need to start receiving the fuel of God. To be baptized into the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. To receive God's spirit inside and to start receiving that fuel. You may need to restart a life that is fueled by God. To ask for your brothers and sisters here to pray for you. Or maybe to call someone later in the day or later this week. And in prayer, to ask them to help you restart and live by the fuel of God. Whatever you need and however we can help you. Let's worship the Father together. Let's stand.